The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the great robot wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, zot, 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 everyday anteaters. I am your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, aka Timothy Toastmaster, excited and committed to bringing you informative, inquisitive, and just plain fun positive talk radio. So here we go. Hello, everybody. You're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And today we have a very, very special guest. It is the medical director of the Student Health Center at UCI, Dr. Albert Chang. Dr. Chang has specialties in pediatrics and preventative medicine and attended medical school at Boston University, where he also received his master's in public health. Dr. Chang's areas of practice include health promotion, disease prevention, and community health population management. I'm also very excited to have Dr. Chang here today because way back in mid to late January, I was in email conversation with him and he was going to do an interview about the coronavirus which at the time was only affecting China. But before we could do it, several people who had been CC'd on the email stepped in to warn Dr. Chang that he needed to not overextend himself. And I definitely got the impression that a lot was going on behind the scenes. At at that point, there were also hundreds of students returning from Asia wearing masks. And since then, from time to time, Dr. Chang would surface with an email touch base but then he would disappear again. So I knew he was extremely busy, and now the rest is history. Here today to share his perspectives on where we were, where we are, and where we are going is Dr. Albert Chang. Welcome, doctor. How are you today? I'm great, Kevin. Thanks for that intro, and it's great to finally be with you. I do apologize for getting pulled all over the place, but you're my priority today, and I'm all yours. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. You know, before we get into the the meat of our discussion today, can you just tell us where you grew up and when you started thinking about medicine? Yeah. So, you know, I've been here at UCI for about three years now. So I've been an anteater for a while, but I originally started as a banana slug. So I went to UC Santa Cruz for my undergrad. Um, But even (laughs) before that, so... Excuse me, just just real quick. Did you say a, a banana slug? Yeah, so UC Santa Cruz, there were banana slugs. That's our mascot. So you thought no, anteaters were silly? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. I, I, I didn't know that. That is really funny. Right. So I started off as a banana slug. And even before that, I'm an Orange County boy, kind of born and bred. So I grew up in Seal Beach. Uh, I went oh. to Los Alamitos High School, played football under the winningest coach in Orange County, Coach John Barnes. So had a great experience there. And it was nice to be able to come back to Orange County. As you mentioned, I went out to Boston for a few years and did both my public health degree out there and did my medical degree out there too. And I think that's what gives me a unique perspective on the health and wellness for our student population as I really appreciate population health management and looking at the public health side of things. But I'll just share with you quickly, Kevin, that when I first started at Santa Cruz, I was actually a computer science major. So this was way back in the 80s, right? We recall the 80s. This is before... Google, YouTube, all that stuff. Apple was a relatively, it was a growing, but it was a relatively small company. Right. And I was looking into computers. And as much as I enjoyed the technology side of things, just something about life science and biology kind of grabbed me a bit more. And so after a few of my computer programming courses, I decided to change the biology and went into medicine. 
and, yeah. uh, and there's been no regrets or no turning back since then. So my passion for you know the human system is my number one. But I'm still completely fascinated with the technology, and and to me, like the future really holds opportunities to to kind of combine the technology that we have in our pockets and our hands every day with the health that we're providing to ourselves. So it's also an interest of mine is medical informatics and just uh, the melding of both computer science and, and medicine into one. That's really interesting, doctor. And thanks for sharing that. Vint Cerf, who is actually one, literally one of the inventors of the internet, and he is an advisor to UCI. He occasionally comes to campus. And a year or so ago when he was on campus, he said that medical technology, medical devices in the digital world, if he was going to go back and do something, it would be that. Follows up with what you're talking about. Actually, recently, I've started to look at some medical devices just for personal reasons. And I'm just like, unbelievable what's being developed. It's incredible. Yeah. When you came out of medical school, did you come right away to UCI? Or what did you do between medical school and coming to UCI? Well, you know, so I thought about pediatrics as a profession because I've always enjoyed working with kind of youth and children and then young adults for sure. So I trained at the Children's Hospital of Orange County, so right right. here at Chalk. And then while I was at Chalk, I became a bit more interested in public health. So my focus at that time was looking at childhood injury prevention. And I did a lot of work with our local American Academy of Pediatrics, looking at how to counsel parents and even providers about making sure that children are not suffering from drowning or accidents, you know, burns, falls, these type of things. And then my interest kind of took a little bit of a turn and I went to community health care. So looking at providing care for those most underserved populations. Mm -hmm. And these were my first kind of experiences as a medical director. So I became medical director of a community clinic in in our Huntington Beach site. And then I became the regional director for a group of clinics um, in Orange County, providing care to those most underserved. And it gave a real perspective about kind of the needs of our population. And, and even though we may have the technology or we may have the, the information, we don't always provide those right resources. So it gave me a, a good view of what is needed to kind of promote, provide more care for those underserved populations and a good perspective on things. And not that I wasn't committed to that group, but there was a time where I needed to kind of make a change for myself. And it was about providing more care to a public health environment. And that's when I started looking at UC Irvine and the position of student health medical director and the population of students as a whole on a campus with faculty, with staff, you know, numbering the thousands. And I came on about three years ago and it's just been phenomenal. It's a unique population. It's a unique kind of style of care we're providing to a community that is here all for one big reason and that's for the education. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're more than just, you know, the educators. We're also the providers and healthcare providers in our, our clinic. For many of our students, we're also their employers because they work on site. And then for a, a large proportion of them, we're the landlords. So they live in our dorms and our apartments, and we have some control over that. And so from a public health perspective, and then definitely through COVID, it's given us an opportunity to provide services and make linkages that have kind of benefited, I think, the health of our students and the health of our community as a whole. Gotcha. Do you see patients? Do you see students as they come in? Or are you more of a, do you, are you a step back from that and, and just offering, you know, counsel and direction? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, when I did come to this position, I knew that my days as a pediatrician in the kind of classic sense were a bit limited. I've always enjoyed adolescent health care. I've always taken care of, of young adults as well. Because um, some people just can't leave their pediatrician no matter how old they get, Right. But I knew I probably wouldn't be seeing many babies or toddlers or even school-aged kids. So mm-hmm. I do continue to provide health care. So on uh, two half days a week, I still see patients out of the clinic. And maybe some of our listeners are even familiar with the care I've been providing. Hopefully, I'm doing a good job. Um, <laughs> but I feel, you know, I think as a medical leader, it's always important to continue to keep yourself grounded. Mm-hmm. Number one, you know, you serve as a role model and you're showing your staff that you know, you will do what you're expecting them to do. So mm-hmm. utilizing, you know, our systems in place, providing care to our students and keeping grounded. And then number two, it reminds you of the primary focus of healthcare. That's delivering care to our patients. So every time I'm in a leadership meeting or every time I'm in an operational or a budget meeting or an insurance planning meeting, 
I always consider how this is ultimately going to affect the care I provide to a student that afternoon and some of the challenges that our students bring up to me when things aren't working out perfectly. And that's where I find myself in a great position to be able to make changes that benefit um, our students, our staff, and even our providers in that right best way. So I still provide care. And I'm realizing that this is a unique population. So, you know, 18 to 25 year olds in general, and we still have our 30, 40, and sometimes 50 year old students, right? Which is wonderful, but it's a unique situation. It's a great population. And I'm really enjoying my clinical time. And I try to do my best to prioritize that as well. Gotcha. When a student comes into the medical health center, do they just get the doctor that's available or or will they actually repeatedly see the same doctor? How does that work? Yeah, so that's a great question. And maybe just to define a bit more, Kevin. So not all of our students have our UCI student health insurance plan. It's anywhere from 60 to 70%, right, that have our plan. And those other students, now everyone's required to have insurance, but other students may choose to keep their own plans or separate plan or to be covered under their parents' or their spouse's mm. plan, and that's fine. And we can still provide care to those students, but it's, it's almost like a fee for service, right? And they can always ask their insurance to kind of um, reimburse for those costs, and they typically do. But for the other 60 to 70%, we are the PCPs. We are the primary care providers. And on any given day, through a typical year, we've got about 10 providers on site, and I'd say about 20 providers in the list altogether. Oh, and any of these primary care providers can be your primary care doctor. And as you come in, right, your first visit, you really don't really have too much choice necessarily. You can say, if you do know who you want to see, you can select a provider, right, that you've been told about, Mm -hmm. or we'll try to do our best to assign a provider that kind of fits your needs for that day. If you're coming in for a women's health examination, definitely one of our female providers to do that right best care. Uh, If Mm -hmm. you're coming in for an injury, we have several providers are trained in sports medicine, and are doing that level of care. And then once you've had your experience with a provider, then you can definitely choose to stay with that provider. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the keys for me, coming from a background in pediatrics where I would see my patients sometimes from the day they're, maybe not the day they're born, but from the week they're first born Mm -hmm. into sometimes their young childhoods through adults and then to teens, continuity of care is essential, right? Mm -hmm. That's how you build that bond, that relationship with your provider. And we definitely move towards continuity of care. It's not a panel necessarily where you only see that one doctor, but Mm -hmm. once you find a provider, and it's not just doctors, we have nurse practitioners and physician's assistants, which are phenomenal providers. Once you find the provider that you really have that connection with, you can definitely work to maintain your future visits with that provider. And most of our students do. So continuity of care is, is essential. So will patients make appointments like, oh, you know, I'd I'd like to see a certain person or even like, you know, I have this problem. Is it like an urgent care or is it, no, no, you make appointments or both? Yeah, so it's a bit of both. So if Uh you've got an urgent condition, you know, you've fallen off your skateboard and you scraped up your arm or you hit your head, for sure we will get you in urgently, right? Typically it goes through a screening process with a triage nurse sometimes it may be so severe that you should go straight to the ER, right? Mm. Or sometimes it might be able to wait until tomorrow if we're kind of getting a bit busy at the, on the day. But coming in for urgent care visits is probably more common for us because 18 to 25-year-olds are typically quite healthy otherwise. Mm. Now, we definitely do health maintenance visits. We definitely do well checks, well exams. We do health clearance visits for travel. We do clearance visits for work. And we do have, of course, a population of students that does have, you know, diabetes or asthma or other kind of more serious chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. And we definitely provide a level of care as the primary care providers working closely with specialists. So we run just like any typical doctor's office would to kind of do the sick care, the healthy care and everything that's in between. Gotcha. Thanks, doctor. Just for a moment, if you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my special guest today is Dr. Albert Chang, who's the medical director of the UCI Student Health Center. We're just about now to start talking about COVID-19. Doctor, do you remember when you first heard about this novel coronavirus when it got your attention? 
Yeah, it was in uh, January, right? So right after kind of the new year, starting mm -hmm. hearing some noise about, right, a, a virus coming out of Asia. And we've all heard of these kind of things before with SARS and then even things like Ebola coming right. out of these countries. And it perks our attention, but we, we know it, well, it's on the other side of the world, right? And right. we've got some time. We've got some time to prepare. Mm -hmm. and, and in the past, historically, we've done okay with things, right? So, and, right. and the other countries have done okay with things. So we prepare for the worst, right? But my ears really didn't perk up until mid-January and then definitely into February when we started getting our domestic cases. And, and I'll share with you, Kevin, even then, you know, as a public health person, I knew that we had to kind of look at the data. We had to look at what was kind of upon us and, and prepare. But as I listened to some of the specialists out there from CDC, from uh, other groups, even from our own Orange County Healthcare Agency, and as I started speaking to some of our public health and population health specialists on campus here, so Dr. Bowden, uh, Dr. Bernadette Bowden Albala is one of, is our um, dean of our upcoming population health school, and she and I have been touching base, you know, from the very beginning, and we started to see, and she started to was really sharing information that this is probably much bigger than we could expect it to be. Um, and even working closely with our UCI Medical Center, this is something that we've done from the start. Uh, Dr. Bill Wilson and his team at the UCI Health Medical Centers have been working with us as complete partners from the start. And as we've been working together and talking about where should we should go with this, it was through kind of early February that we realized this is the real deal, guys. And not to look at things with a pessimistic doom and gloom attitude, but we better prepare ourselves because this could hit and this could hit hard. Mm -hmm. and, and we've been making those changes and those, and those kind of adjustments ever since. And, you know, and it's, it's the tough thing for me also, um, Kevin has been in those early stages, you don't once again, want to, to just preach that you know, the, the end is near, right? Do what mm -hmm. you can just to save yourself. Mm -hmm. But you also don't want to paint a too like sunny of a picture mm -hmm. that it'll we'll, it'll blow by. We'll be fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. And so it's a fine balance of what you're doing to communicate that right way. And from the start, our leadership at, at the UCI Irvine campus has been supportive, collaborative. There are some key players. I'd have to take my hat off most, most importantly to our communications our strategic communications team. So, mm -hmm. Uh, Sherry Main and Sherry Ledbetter have mm -hmm. been truly, um, anytime you see a communication coming out of me, it's really mm -hmm. from their, their direction and support. So mm -hmm. getting the right messages out, being responsive, being proactive, being transparent, mm -hmm. not just jumping to fear, but mm -hmm. then also not being too complacent and too comfortable so that we were ready to move and move forward. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of has progressed through February March for sure. We were, you know, that's when we knew we were in it. That's when right. the county knew that, that we were really deep into things, and that's when we knew that we needed to move our students off campus, right? So, mm -hmm. being in classrooms of you know hundreds of people, dormitories, even libraries and dining halls, right? Mm -hmm. We needed to kind of spread things out a bit. So, some smart strategies went in place, and mm -hmm. from the lead of our chancellor, for sure pushing these efforts, which I think has done a phenomenal job for our campus and our community mm -hmm. here at UCI. Thank you for that. Did you realize that at some point, when did you start losing sleep? Was it early on or was it more methodical or, oh no, I, I never lose sleep. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, people like friends that know me, I'm a pretty happy guy, right? Uh, yeah. and fun loving, right? So I would say I'm optimistic, but I also try to be a realist. And so when I'm getting serious, then you know that we're in it, right? So mm -hmm. when, you know, not only my, my wife, my family, and my friends, when we started talking and I got this, right, very kind of focused perspective on things, I think they knew, wow, Albert's really, he's really serious about this stuff. And mm -hmm. it was probably once again, probably in, in, in February, that mm -hmm. all the numbers started coming together. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, that those layers of an onion, as you kind of peel back each layer, you're seeing right. something more and more and more. And we knew, of course, that there was always this potential for spread. I think yeah. also when, when things started to go to Europe and when, mm -hmm. you know, when Italy was mm -hmm. affected, mm -hmm. you know, but even before that, when the Japanese cruise liner, mm -hmm. um, when the numbers there started to just spread so quickly, 
And then when mm. Italy started to have problems. So those were things for sure um, that you better pay attention to because right. as, 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 um, as lucky as we are and as fortunate we are as we are in the U S to have such a strong public health system and CDC and other public health entities and research facilities around us, we are mm. ultimately vulnerable. Right. And so we needed to batten down the hatches, buckle down, and start doing the right thing. Doctor, you know, now that the numbers for the United States have just gone through the roof, was it just the nature of the largeness of our country that we're at the top of the heap now? No country had more deaths and more confirmed cases. Should we have started earlier? Can you comment on that? Right. So, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah. Like, yeah like, that's so yeah. cliche to say. The keys are kind of looking what we did and, and still moving forward. We're still in the beginning stages. We're not kind of through this at all, right? So yeah. we can at least keep looking at what we are planning to do in the kind of short term, middle term, and then long term. And I don't think there was any true fault, anything outright that we did wrong necessarily, okay? And that's just being as PC as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there are a few factors. So one factor is the communication from leadership, right? About what needs to happen, what should happen. And as I mentioned before, it's, it's difficult because you don't know necessarily how to kind of emphasize something. Now, one factor that is a wild card, but something that we have really no control over is the nature of the virus itself. Mm-hmm. So we can compare this virus, this coronavirus to other coronaviruses and saying, well, because this virus acts this way, we should treat ourselves this way. And then, oh, because this one acts this way, we should do this instead. And so it's a bit of a guessing game, but there's information that kind of goes out that way. And the virus will determine how it's going to affect people and infect people right? How it's going to spread and then how deadly it's going to become, right? Mm -hmm. So those are things we have less control over. What we ultimately have control over is our own behavior. So the choices we make to do what we feel is appropriate or what we feel is inappropriate. And hopefully that's why, you know, our role as leadership is to provide as much good information out there and let our team, our team of, you know, students and staff and faculty know what we're feeling is the best you to do to protect yourself and it's your choice to follow so or not and i think that our campus has done a great job to kind of follow but you know we've seen some of the videos of spring break in florida we've seen people right in the news that just don't necessarily have those same beliefs or thoughts and they're continuing to practice maybe not the safest behaviors and this is where i think we are still kind of seeing pockets of infection or areas that are just kind of uh, less prepared you know, in New York, it's difficult to say what was the concern. When you look at, I mean, one thing for sure is just population density. Mm-hmm. You have people, right, that are just living so close when you've got subways mm-hmm. where literally tens of thousands of people are kind of going in and out of mm-hmm. and um, in just tight quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a challenge, right, compared mm-hmm. to, I don't know, somewhere in, in maybe North Dakota where things are right. spread out quite a bit. And so that's why I say, and I've had some friends ask me, so, you know, Albert, when are we going to be through this? When is it going to start to turn around? When can it get back to a normal or at least more of a new normal? And as a public health person, I always tell them, you know, there are different levels that we need to look at. So the global kind of level of things happening on the planet in different countries is important because we can learn from what other countries have done. But it's not always so easy to compare. So whatever's been happening in, in South Korea or whatever Taiwan has done so effectively you know, why don't we just do what they did? Why can't we just kind of do the same thing? Right. Well, I mean, we're a very different country. We've got very different processes. And mm-hmm. managing our nation is very different than managing kind of one of these other countries. Mm-hmm. And on top of it, there are some other uh, limitations that are there. However, mm-hmm. we can definitely learn from what other countries have done. And, and that's where sharing of information is critical. So, mm-hmm. you know, China was able to share with us some of the genetic makeup of this coronavirus early back in January. So that CDC was able to prepare these PCR viral tests to evaluate and identify positive cases. And we've been fine tuning that ever since. And so, you know, as much of the kind of political back and forth is going on about countries, overall countries are sharing information we learned from that. And then we can look at our national information. So how is the US doing as a whole? And as you mentioned, we're at the top of the list now, right? Our number of positive cases, 
right? The number of fatalities continues to rise every day. And we can look at each of our states and, and see, well, you know, what is going on in New York? What happened initially in Washington State? How are some of these other cities doing well and how are they doing poorly? Um, but then ultimately it comes down to what, for our kind of back to normal, and when we do, when we will be able to go back to work and do what we need to do, we have to look at Orange County or LA County or Riverside County, wherever we're living. And the great thing is that each of these counties in the state has pretty much a transparent database of hospitalizations, of ICU visits, of unfortunate fatalities, but then also new cases within the county. So ours is through our Orange County Healthcare Agency's website. So that's OCHCA. If you type in OCHCA and then you put COVID, it brings you to their landing page. And there's a link there for tests and data and figures. And that's where I kind of direct my friends. So if we keep a close eye on our data, if we look at the number of cases kind of coming time day after day, we can see how quickly things are peaking or how gradually things are plateauing. And when things start to kind of plateau and then decrease, this is when we know that we're kind of through some of it. And when the numbers are low and the numbers are down, this is when we know it's, it's safer to kind of to get out there again. And, and, you know, it's a bit of number crunching and you don't want to just kind of look, keep looking at it every 15 minutes. It's not like, you know, it's like jumping on a scale to see like how much weight you lost and whatever. Right. So, right. but keeping a close track of it, kind of looking at how the numbers look, right? That's going to tell us when we're kind of at a time that things are kind of getting back to a, a new normal. And that's a bit of a lesson when I try to share with colleagues and friends of mine to keep an eye on. Gotcha. Doctor, at the UC level, were you in on that? Was it the student health center directors that were getting together for conference calls? Was that part of your day or, or no, it wasn't? Well, I'll, I'll share this, Kevin. We, were, we are so fortunate to have such strong leadership. So Dr. Carrie Byington is our executive vice president for all of the UC Health system. So she oversees not just our campuses, our student health centers, but our medical centers for sure. Mm. And she is recently came in, I think she came in last year in 2019, and her training is as a pediatric infectious disease specialist. So COVID and coronaviruses are right up her alley. And she made sure that we were communicating all of us from the start. And that's when, uh, you know, Dr. Bill Wilson and his team at UCI Medical Center, uh, you know, reached out to our campus leadership and pulled me in. And we've been working hand in hand all along the way. So there are definitely differences when you're running a, a medical center that has clinics, specialists, hospitals, ICUs, surgery, you know, surgical units, all these things versus running a, a campus, right, which is made up of classrooms and, and professors and laboratories and dining halls and dormitories and residents. But there was still a lot that kind of applied to both of our facilities and on both of our campuses. And we made sure that we aligned as much as possible when we could. And I truly, you know, appreciate their resource to us so that we could make sure that what we were saying to our teams and our staff and the way that we were practicing as physicians in our student health center was the same as what they were doing at their medical center so that we were all doing those right best things. And that was brought together from the start. So from our first early meetings, the UCI Irvine campus and the UCI health medical campuses have been locked in, synced in. And this is alongside our School of Medicine. So Dr. Stamos and the School of Medicine has been supportive and strong partners all along the way as we move forward. Now, on top of that, you mentioned some of the other UCs. On a, let me see, it's probably every, two times a week, we've been having UCOP, so UC Office of the President-wide meetings where all the campuses come together. We're hearing reports from UC San Francisco, UCLA, San Diego. We're all reporting out. We're all sharing best practices. We're all giving each other good information and, and, and planning, strategically planning our next steps forward as a full team, as a full unit, and benefiting from the experiences of each other. And that continues to this day. We just had these meetings earlier today, which have been beneficial. Um, and then on a student health level, we as student health leadership, medical directors and executive directors are also meeting twice a week so that best practices are shared once again, so that we're all in this together. 
And we're learning from, once again, the experience of our partners and our colleagues. It's been incredibly supportive, incredibly supportive. Excellent. Excuse me just for a minute, doctor. If you are just joining us, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, engaged in conversation with UCI Student Health Center Medical Director, Dr. Albert Chang. And just to note that this interview is taking place on Tuesday, April 14th, because as we know, things are always changing in this current environment. Doctor, is there anything to be learned for you? You mentioned South Korea and Taiwan. Is there anything that you've noticed about them that's like, hmm, yeah, that's, that's really good. We might do that here. Yeah. So, you know, I spoke a little bit before about what we have control over and what we'd have less control over. And our own behaviors, right? So staying in place, covering cough, not going out is one of the things. And some people say that some of these, some of the other countries have a bit more control either forced or just kind of, uh, or compliance, right, mm-hmm. about behaving appropriately. So that's one of the factors. I think the other factor in some of these other countries has been availability of testing, prioritization of testing, and distribution, collection, and investigation of test results. One of the things that's been hot right now is, in addition to the typical PCR viral testing, there are several serum tests or antibody tests that are also coming out that are beneficial and that they can be done on site and you might get results in less than an hour. However, you know, for us in the US, we've probably got, if not one of the most strict, but this most strict of all the of all the countries, policies for approval of medications and medical treatments. And this is typically good for us, right? It typically makes sure that the medications and, and treatments and tests that are out there are safe, are efficacious, are validated and are truly representing a strong quality. But that also means that there are many more hoops to jump through. And and we speak about, for example, medication that we're hearing about now. So certain medications used for this or medications used for that, even though they're being trialed right now, we have to be very sensitive and a bit more realistic about when they will ultimately become available. And you can bet for sure research agencies are doing the tests as we speak, right? With the number of COVID patients that we have seen, and an answer will come, but unfortunately, just doesn't usually come as quickly as we liked. And as we look at some of the other countries, they were just able to get certain things moving through their systems a bit more quickly than we were able to get through our systems. When we speak about testing, so testing is something that you're thinking, well, that's obvious, that's easy, just get a sample and you'll know if someone's positive or negative. Well, there were certain barriers even in the beginning. So the number of tests that could be performed was definitely a limiting factor. So each site that has the testing equipment can only run so many tests per day. Mm-hmm. And as we started to test more and more people, in the very beginning, I was getting results for my test that I sent out in maybe 24 to 48 hours. And then it became three to five days. And then most recently, sometimes it's about 12 days out. Mm-hmm. So the amount of tests, the test capacity and capability has definitely been limited. Now, as we're doing more tests and there's newer tests that are coming out, we're getting better numbers, but that definitely has been a limitation and even the type of tests that we're doing. So, and I don't want to, again, it's not, I think, smart at this point to keep pointing fingers, but looking at where we need to go moving forward, let's be sure to have all of our resources available to us. So is that an example, not pointing fingers, if and when this happens again, we have to have things in place better so we're able to nimbly adjust to what's needed for testing because it seemed like we were really flat-footed. For sure, for sure, Kevin. You know, there are a lot of lessons learned, right? So, and that's the goal for me, right? As we get to that point emerging out of COVID, right? As I am confident that we will get to, but we emerge kind of smarter. We emerge knowing more. We emerge kind of being better prepared for that next time around. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. I mean, this is like nothing I've ever experienced in my lifetime as a physician, but then even as a a human being on the planet, I can't remember any time where you've had to do things like this. And so we better learn from it. That's, we're obligated to be smarter moving forward. Absolutely. While we're talking about testing and looking at it from an overall perspective, Do you have any perspective comments about Dr. Anthony Fauci? 
Yeah, so Dr. Fauci, I feel that he is a very intelligent physician. You don't get to that position without truly knowing what you're talking about and having a strong perspective on things. But he is definitely kind of more of a scientist. And I think he speaks truth. Now, you know, politically, it's, it's sometimes challenging, right? There's a political game you have to play in leadership as well. Um, but I do take what he says to heart. Um, we need to take, I think, the perspective from Dr. Fauci kind of applied to our local areas, right, and make decisions, smart decisions, and strong decisions moving forward. Um, but he is only one person, right? And so it's difficult if you're just kind of getting information from that one person. It's the CDC. It's our entities as a whole. And he's kind of that figurehead. He's the voice. But I do feel that he is doing his best to ensure that we're doing all those right best things. Gotcha. Is the Student Health Center open now or is it not open? I'm glad you asked. We are definitely open. So our providers are delivering care. Now, in the practice of social distancing, we've actually started to bring on telehealth as a technology. So when we spoke about right how technology is supporting us, we're doing telephone visits, right? And you might think, what can Dr. Chang do through a telephone visit? Well, I'll share with you, Kevin, being a primary care doctor for over 20 years now, many of my most diagnostic visits happen at two in the morning while I'm on call with a worried parent with you know a, a six-month-old with a fever. And there's a lot of information you can get if, as long as the person you're speaking to is speaking truthfully and is giving you good information. So we are definitely open. And about 75% of our visits right now are telephone visits. And the nice thing for our patients and our students is it means that you don't need to get up and out of bed and hike down to the student health center and then wait in line to get seen and go through all of it. So we schedule appointments and then I call you on your phone, making sure that you're in a good place, right? Where you've got privacy and you can chat and we do telephone visits. So, and we're doing them every single day. Now, if there's an indication to be seen, you know, there are certain things you can't do over the phone. We do bring those our students into the health center. And so the, about 25% of our cases now are kind of face-to-face and hands-on, right? You can't necessarily evaluate, you know, a fracture, right, over the phone so easily, or you can't necessarily, you know, tell if you've got an appendicitis, you know, over the phone. So there's still certain things that need to be brought in, but the majority we can do over the phone. And so we are definitely open. Um, additionally, we're on open on Saturdays for our calls. Mm-hmm. And we're in the process of moving to video visits. And what the benefit of video visits is at least I can see how you're doing, how you're breathing. Mm-hmm. If you have got a, a rash or some bruising or something else going on, I can visualize that. And that's coming right around the corner. And so we're expanding the the type of services we deliver. Now, we put our specialty services on hold a little bit. So in addition to just basic primary care, we have a very chiropractic uh, department that works heavily. And we have an ENT doctor, a dermatologist, and nutritionist that come on board. For the moment, they're put off on hold, but we'll be bringing them back in. And I'd like to add also, we have a very strong psychiatric department. And our psychiatrists and mental health specialists have been providing care to our students with needs all throughout these last few months. And they've been being kept very busy as well. So we're definitely open for business. We will continue to be open for business as our students have that need. Very good. When you say psychiatry, is that different than student counseling, you know, psychological counseling? Is your health center psychiatry, are they the same? So, you know, there's different levels of mental health and behavioral health practice. And so, you know, you mentioned the Counseling Center. This is a phenomenal resource that we have on campus for our students. So we work closely with our directors, Dr. Francis Diaz and Dr. Vivian Yamada through our Counseling Center. And they've got their team of of counselors that provide service to our students. They're also doing it virtually. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, for students that are having issues or concerns with stress, with anxiety, with, you know, some of the challenges of, of going through not only, you know, the life of a, a student at UCI, but you kind of put COVID on top of everything else. And, and there's challenges that kind of come through there. So they have definitely been promoted and they're getting busier. Now, when there's a, a higher level of mental health and, and mm-hmm. psychiatric care that's needed, that's typically when it goes to our psychiatrists on site. So uh-huh. these are typically patients that have more levels of anxiety, depression, bipolar, other type disorders that need more of a chronic care. And so that's when we talked about continuity before, 
typically it's following long-term with one of our psychiatrists to provide support in that right best way. And we have uh, licensed certified clinical social workers that also support our mental health team as an additional resource. Gotcha. Doctor, can you describe what your days are like right now? Are they totally different or are they similar in a lot of ways as normal? Can you give a little perspective of that? You know, sure, Kevin, right? So if you were to tell me when I was back in medical school that I'd be doing radio interviews from home (laughs) over the phone, like video Zoom, you know, meetings all day long, decisions about life on a, on a college campus, I think you were crazy, right? <laughs> and sometimes I think, you know, it's just easier just to take care of patients. Maybe I should just go back to just being a <laughs> here, right? Because at least you kind of come to a decision at the end of the day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of meetings, right? And it's a lot of emails and communications and there are decisions, sometimes really hard decisions to be made. So I work a lot with our leadership on campus and at our student health center. I also work closely with our providers and our, our physicians to make sure that clinically that they've got the right information and the right support to do what they can do. And it hit me maybe a, a few years into my medical director position. And I thought to myself, am I going that right way? Right. Am I doing what I really should be doing? you know, going to these meetings instead of really being on the ground floor. And I thought about it, and it's actually, it's, it's an honor to be able to sit at the table with our leaders and our decision makers. And the great thing is I've been respected all along the way. So the information that I bring to the table is to make sure that I'm advocating for our students and for our staff and for our providers. And it's taking into account on those highest levels. And, you know, it wasn't my goal. Like, I never really thought I'd go into medical director, right, as a position. You just kind of fall into things. Mm -hmm. So never thought I'd be here. But the fact that I'm here is phenomenal. And I'm taking full advantage of it to make sure that we're making that best system moving forward. And it's working out great. It's working out very well. Excellent. Is the Student Health Center under uh, student affairs? Is that what you're part of? Or are you in a different part of the system. Yes. Yes. So under Dr. Hayashida and under Dr. Banks, we are a part of student affairs at the UCI. Wow. You know what I haven't heard much of? If you think you have the coronavirus, but you're not that sick, what do you do? Right. So so as a student, for sure, and even as a staff or faculty member, you contact your provider and that's through a phone call. So don't, you know, the days of just walking straight into the waiting room and just saying, hey, I think I've got coronavirus. Those are days of the past because you don't want to necessarily be exposing people that are in the waiting room or even staff without alerting them first. So you make a good phone call. You let them know what your symptoms are and you let them know what your concerns are. And this was happening and it's still happening now, but it was happening more maybe a month or two ago when people were returning from some of these countries like China, Korea or, or Europe. And so there was a higher risk, right? So if you just came off a plane and you've got fever and cough, you're a bit high risk. And so what happens after calling is your provider then determines what's the next best step. So is it a phone conversation? Is it bringing you in for examination? And typically that would be coming in through maybe one of the safer entrances and going straight to an isolation room. And, you know, you'll probably be seen by your doctor and your nurse wearing the whole get up, the face mask, the gloves, the gown. And it can be a bit intimidating, but it's really for the best interests of the providers and yourself to be safe. And then a sample is taken. And that's when, once you leave the clinic, you're on isolation because we don't know if you've got the infection or not. So it's typically going back to your home, going into a single room and really minimizing contact with others. And that's where the turnaround time is critical. So if it's a 12-day turnaround time for me to get the results, you may be in this isolation for 12 days. But if I can get the result within a day or two, right, we'll have an answer sooner than later. Now, if you're still symptomatic, regardless of having COVID or not, right, you need to make sure that you're still taking care of yourself, you're still isolating, that you're not infecting more people. However, if the COVID sample is coming back positive, that's when the Orange County Healthcare Agency comes into play and they help us manage your care moving forward. If you've got just some basic cold and flu symptoms, a fever and a cough, but it's really no worse than the flu you had a couple of years ago, you can probably continue to manage on your own. And ultimately, it is your own immune system that fights off this COVID infection. 
And how do you support your immune system? Well, we all know the basics, right? Washing hands, eating healthy, drinking a lot of fluids, getting the rest, controlling stress and anxiety. So it's these basics that get you over that illness. But there are cases where this illness can take a bit more of a hold. And so if your symptoms start to worsen, your fever gets higher, and more specifically, your coughing and your difficulty breathing gets worse, that's when you need to notify your healthcare provider because there are situations where you may need to be hospitalized and observed in the hospital. And worst case scenario, it gets to the ICU where you need more close monitoring and even to the point of ventilation, right? So it's watching each step and progression of illness along the way. And if you think about it, it's the same thing that we would have done two, three, four, five years ago with any kind of an influenza or any type of a pneumonia. It's just being on higher alert right now. And critically is that you're minimizing contact with others, especially vulnerable populations while you're getting back onto the road to recovery. Gotcha. Doctor, did you notice from the time that when we first started talking in January, you know, and there were like hundreds of students from Asia that were wearing masks, you know, that was really getting my attention. It was very noticeable. And, and then there was a little bit of a lull. And it was almost like, oh, are we going to, you know, escape it one more time? Like some of these past ones that were just heinous when you heard about it and then somehow we got out of it as a world so it seemed like that we had a little bit of a lull and then the firestorm hit was that just a false impression that i had or did you even have a hope that yeah maybe we're going to skirt this yeah this is the whole thing about time kind of tells all right kevin so looking back three months ago what were our thoughts you know if you had to put your money down somewhere, where would you put it? Would you say that this is going to pass by quickly or would you say this is going to be kind of life-changing for so many people on the planet, right? So, so, really- something never experienced before in any of our lifetimes. Exactly. And that's where it's sometimes difficult as a healthcare provider, number one, but then as a leader, number two. So where do you kind of hedge your bets? Right. Where do you kind of put your decision-making? Mm-hmm. And, and it was... It was tough to say in those early days, but once we started getting more information, then we, we knew we had to act quickly. We had to have directive. We had to kind of get students off campus. We had to minimize interaction between one person to another, essentially. So that's what social distancing is by definition, right? Put more distance between us as social creatures. And the best way to do that was to put all of our classes online. So it wasn't necessarily closing the campus. We were still providing an education. Right. But it was through an online process and not so much of a face to face direct process. And then moving our students off of the campus, right out of the dormitories was that next step, because having, you know, we think about New York, we think about subways, having more individuals in a confined spaces is not a good thing. And we've done a good job to get most of our students off campus. And it's not to say that those that are staying on campus are at any higher risk. We've benefited in that we now can provide individual rooms to students. Mm. And if possible, minimizing the number of people that are sharing bathrooms mm. and giving much more attention to kind of separation and, and safety in that way. And, and, you know, just even the way that campus functions as a whole. So we've kind of turned off a lot of things for right now, but it's making a difference. It's what's keeping our campus healthy and our campus safe. You know, I think I can safely say that we've had about a handful of positive cases kind of on the UCI campus that at least I'm aware of. And there may be others that we've never tested and others that may have been tested and I've just not seen the results, but about a handful, maybe like five to seven cases so far. And when you think about a campus of 35,000 students, that's undergrad and graduates, and another 10 to to 15,000 employees and staff and faculty, we've really done a remarkable job. I think, and I, my, my um, respect and my, appreciation goes to each of our students, staff, and faculty for doing what they've done to make sure that we remain a healthy campus. And that ultimately is is all I can ask for, is that they're doing their best, you're all doing your best to take care of yourselves and in doing so taking care of our campus as a whole. So tough to kind of go back and say we could have, should have done this, but looking forward and where we are at now, I think we've done a great job and I'm confident that we will continue to do a great job. 
Super. Any words on remdesivir that's being tested at the UCI Medical Center? Dr. Alpish Amin, say anything about that? Yeah, so Dr. Amin's team, I mean, like I said before, there's a lot of great groups that are working day and night to find that right treatment, right? And Mm -hmm. so remdesivir is a medication that was developed to help in the treatment of, of Ebola. And so we're looking to see how this might affect COVID patients and getting back to health in a quicker, sooner way. You know, it's, it's hopeful. It's not necessarily right around the corner, but mm-hmm. it's great to know that we've got, you know, such a strong team of individuals, researchers working to find us those best resources moving forward. And I'll just share quickly, Kevin, that there's been other team of, uh, of specialists on campus. I've been brought into some of the conversations looking at not only treatments and solutions to the illness, but how can we better maximize the use of our PPE, our personal protective equipment? How can we, instead of throwing away these N95 you know, filtration masks, how can we recycle them? How Fantastic. Can That's great news. Right. So what can be done with microwaves? What can be done with 3D printing to make more swabs? You know, the, the team on our campus is working on the viral transport medium, which is essential to getting these tests run and done. And, you know, that's, it's UCI. We've got mm-hmm. the brightest and the best on campus, and they're working hard to come up with, you know, solutions to the things that we're struggling with day by day. And I'm incredibly proud of each of these individuals for the work and their commitment to what we're doing here. Fantastic. Doctor, we're quickly running out of time. Is there any last words that you'd like to say to the UCI community before we go? Yeah, so I want to thank you first and foremost, Kevin, for your patience and then for this opportunity to spend with you, to kind of speak to you. Hopefully, we'll have opportunities in the future to speak on other topics, right? And get yeah. into more kind of conversation and share information to our listeners and our students that are out there. I've covered a lot of things, but I think the, the main thing is that our staff and our faculty and our students and our community as a whole just stay vigilant with social distancing. It is making a huge difference. So the nature of the virus, it jumps from one to another to another. And if we're not giving it that opportunity, it's going to really minimize that spread. Now, on top of that, we must continue to monitor ourselves for illness and keep an eye on our loved ones, on our children, and definitely in our elderly parents and grandparents to make sure if they start showing signs of illness, that they're getting the care that they need and, and that they're seen sooner than later because they're kind of that highest risk population. And I think the critical point through all of this is that we continue to practice strong and healthy behaviors not just for our body, but also for our mind. You know, the media and the information that's out there, it's distressing for sure. I think many of us have stopped watching the news or reading the news because it's just some horrifying images sometimes. And so you've got to keep not only the body healthy through, you know, good diet, water, exercise if you can, as you can, but also keeping your mind healthy and doing things that kind of enrich yourself and you know, helping out others. I know that there are groups of people that are doing things like sewing masks for uh, healthcare workers, which is phenomenal, and providing care to others, which is phenomenal. So doing things to keep your body and more importantly, your mind healthy and moving forward. And, you know, I just want to say this again, I'm incredibly proud of our entire community here at UC Irvine. I think, you know, you've been in step with us all along the way as we've been communicating proactively and as transparently as possible what we've been going through and you've been listening and you've been doing the right things. And that's why I think we've done such a good job to maintain kind of health and wellness on the, on the, on the campus community. And so just to share that I'm committed to each of you in this effort in our student health center, each of our providers and our leaders are committed to the same exact effort, but thank you. Thank you all for kind of following through and doing what's best for ourselves and our community. Keep up the great work, doctor, you and all your colleagues, and we will do our best to keep spreading the word. Okay, thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you again to UCI Student Health Center Medical Director, Dr. Albert Chang. It was a pleasure to finally connect. His insights into the Student Health Center as well as COVID-19 were very, very revealing. I see him as being an outstanding campus leader in his position, and I will continue to dialogue with him whenever he's available and as things develop. Remember, as Dr. Chang and your mom would say, we will get through this, but we have to do our part. And that would include one, social distancing, social distancing, social distancing. Stay vigilant. Two, wash your hands thoroughly and frequently, 20 seconds minimum, 
and you know how it goes. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, up to 20 Mississippi. Three, avoid touching your face unless necessary. That's a tough one for me. And four, wear a face mask when going to places where other people will be. Make a difference for yourself and for others. You've been listening to another COVID-19 update on UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program where currently every week we explore another corner of UCI where it applies to the coronavirus. With interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters. We got to keep smiling, babe. Now I have three big shout-outs. Number one, to KUCI Station Manager Kevin Stockdale for everything he is doing to keep KUCI up and running during these difficult times. He's doing a terrific job and is always willing to help when he can. Number two, to piano man extraordinaire Fred Kaplan for supplying my show theme song and playout music from his CD signifying it's a gem. And three, all you mask makers out there, you're awesome. Keep up the great work. Kudos, kudos. To hear an encore of today's show or any other editions of UCI Conversations from this academic school year, go to my podcast website at www.bossenmeyer.com. That's Bossenmeyer, all one word, B as in Bravo, O-S-S as in Sierra, E-N as in November, M as in Mike, E-Y as in Yankee, E-R, www.bossenmeyer.com. You can also message me by email at kboss at kuci.org. And now coming up next is Ash Kumar on Entrepreneur Nation, which looks at different aspects of the business world and how they apply to you. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Kevin Bostonmeyer, wishing you the very best. Stay safe. Stay healthy. See you next week, everybody. So long.